Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixergy, where I interview entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses. Joining me is a person who I've gotten to know um, pretty well over the last year because the two of us have been in this uh, entrepreneurial group that has met up about once a month. His name is Andrew Gazdecki. You probably know him because his ads are every freaking where in the startup community. He is the founder of MicroAcquire. It's a startup acquisition marketplace. Basically, it's the place you go when you want to sell your company or when you want to add to uh, your business portfolio by buying a company. And his company is called Micro because he's kind of focused on the small part. But I also think that Andrew has got this aw shucks attitude, like I'm just starting a little thing here. And I don't know if it's put on, I believe it's put on, or if it's real, I do not believe it's real. And my hope in this interview is to get at the, the things that he has done to build this business to where it is today, and also to understand what he's done over the last, frankly, his whole career to build up his businesses. And we can do it thanks to two phenomenal sponsors. The first is HostGator for hosting your website. The second is Memberful for uh, charging people access to your content. Andrew, good to have you here. Thanks uh, for having me, Andrew. Got to admit, I'm a little uh, nervous for this uh, podcast. Like I, <laughs> I mentioned before we started, because you're the you're the podcast master. Thank you. I am too. And you know what? One of the reasons is that you do have this this aw shucks personality. We got together in this mastermind. You started off by saying, "I don't know. I'm feeling intimidated. Everybody here is so success, so much more successful than I am." And I thought, what a what an honest thing to do. And then as I got to know you, I said, what a crock of bull. This guy's done so much. <laughs> Tell me where, where MicroAcquire is revenue-wise right now. Uh, right now, um, 750000 in recurring revenue, growing about 20% month over month. Okay. But that's about to um, explode as we start to uh, look to take uh, referrals from M&A advisors, Attorneys, accountants, wealth advisors, due diligence experts. What do you mean by referrals? Because right now the, the model is people want to buy businesses, pay you for access to this list of companies that want to sell, right? And that's where the month, that's where the, the recurring revenue comes from. Right. So we want to build essentially the Zillow of MA. So like my personal story, fast forwarding, we can backtrack on this, but you know, I had a business. It was called Business Apps. SaaS business grew to about ten million annual recurring revenue. Sold it to a private equity firm. How much? How much did I sell for? Yeah, I won't say. Okay. Uh, give me just, a sense. Did you have millions in the bank after that, or did you have a nice story with lessons learned? Uh, low, low eight figures. Um, low eight I said figures this, in uh, the bank. In the bank, tax free. Okay. Okay. Yeah, my Post tax, tax bill. Yeah, my the sending the tax bill is crazy. Um. Uh, I benefited from QSBS. I'll tell you the structure. I'll t I'll share Go what ahead. I'm comfortable sharing. Yep. I have never shared the actual purchase price aside from my wife, my team. I always say it's just a weird flex. Like either it's like I'm bragging or it's too little or it's not enough. And I just don't want you to know because that's not what I want to be known for. I don't want to be known for, you know, sold his company for XYZ amount. Um, I want to be known for helping entrepreneurs. Um, but the deal was awesome, like fucking awesome. So uh, we did an all cash transaction, sold to ESW Capital. Uh, they actually bought uh, 2 million cash on hand. Uh, and the reason you can do that is when you sell cash, they'll put a 1X multiple. So 
we were taxed at 13% state instead of dividending that out to shareholders. So that was really nice of them to do. Wait, wait, what do you mean? The, um, walk me through that. It was 2 million cash in the bank when you sold the business? Yeah. So we were, we were a really profitable business within the first three years. And then I started running at break even for growth. And we just had 2 million cash on hand for a rainy day. And then we ran at break even. And okay. um, um, I said, will you buy the cash? They said, we'll buy the cash. Like I kind of said- Instead of up- you taking the cash out of the business as a dividend where you'd be taxed, you said to the acquirer, will you buy this business in addition with the cash in it and then give me a multiple of the cash? Right. Okay. Because by doing that, we were taxed far less. So when you okay. dividend the cash out, typically in an acquisition, that would be you know dividend out to all shareholders. But okay. since it was added onto the purchase price, um, we benefited from uh, just a better tax structure. So it was straight life changing acquisition. Like, oh my god, like what the fuck did I just do? Um, I talked about this on another podcast, but my initial reaction was like, whoa, like, um, like, is this, is this legal? Like, uh, I always reference like, like my feelings when I sold the business, um, you know, a lot of people think like, congratulations, you just got acquired. Um, I was like, thanks, but I'm freaked the fuck out right now. Like, uh, this isn't really what I expected a situation I expected to be in at age 29. Uh, so thanks. Um, but, uh, yeah, a little nervous. Um, hopefully I don't, you know, fuck this up and, you know, spend it on dumb stuff. So, um, but yeah, it was a lot, it was, it was a, it was a good outcome. What's the tax Um, situation that you were, that you were talking about earlier? So QSBS is a exemption for, um, I'm not an expert here, but basically for up to the first 10 million, we saved 2 million on taxes. And then after that, we paid long, long-term capital gains because it was a stock purchase, not an asset purchase. At asset purchases um, are taxed usually at like 40%, much higher. And then we paid uh, 13% uh, state tax. Okay. And this is QSBS. That's qualified small business stock. Yeah. If you're looking to sell a business, like look it up. It it, it has a lot of regulations. Like you need to own the stock for five years. You need to have an accountant, like make sure that you qualify. Um, but it's one of the hidden secrets of acquisitions, like, Mm -hmm. because it it was a massive savings. Um, And it needs to be a C corp which ordinarily a, a yep. smaller business may not want, right? Yeah, and 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 the, and the, and the back the backstory on that is um, we were originally in an LLC to start, yeah, because um, I started the business in college. But I read this article on TechCrunch, which you can probably Google it, like QSBS TechCrunch, and it's from like 2009, and it's written on like December 23rd, and it said. Uh, QSBS, you have until January 1st. We literally reincorporated in four days. Like we went from an LLC to a C Corp. I told um, all my angel investors this could be very impactful and frankly stupid if we don't, like we should be a corp. Like, you know, we're bringing on investors. 
um, we didn't bring on any additional investors, but at that time, you know, we didn't know, you know, it was early in the business. Um, but we, yeah, like literally we filed and we got, you know, approved, but it's been extended now. Like we didn't need to rush, but we did, uh, we treated it as if like, like rush. And my attorney was like, I'm not an accountant. And like, and it's Christmas. Like wh- what the fuck? Uh, like, um, we can get this I see done. the article here. It says, potential angel investors, you have until January 1st to lock in 100% tax-free capital gains on startup stock. It's written by Eric Schoenfeld, uh, December 13th, 2011. And then it says, a quirk in the tax law is helping any qualified small business stock purchase between September 27th, 2010 and January 1st, 2012 and held for at least five years is 100% exempt from capital gains taxes. I added the word taxes. After January 1st, the tax exemption reverts to the normal 50%. That's what you're talking about. And this is now extended to today. We can still do that. Yeah. To okay, my, and that's what to you my, did. To my knowledge. And I've actually um, tweeted at that author and I was like, thank you, Mike. That was a, a great article and really impacted my life. So thank you for writing that. Okay. So what did you do with the money that was fun? Um, so this is another thing I, I don't talk about too often, but I've shared it on um, you know, the a few other folks. Um, because it's it's just it's just weird, you know, just talking about like what what happens after an acquisition. So um, the first thing I did was hire a wealth manager, mm-hmm. um, reference from Christian Friedland, who really is probably the closest thing I have to a, a father figure. He was, you know, a mentor to me. He, the amount of emails I sent him, he did this thing where he, um, He's uh, the founder connect- of build.com build.com. So okay. he grew that business. He bootstrapped that business to about 3 billion in GMB. So he's a baller. He, Mm -hmm. he's like Ari gold in the flesh. Like he's the coolest guy ever. He's super hilarious. Uh, we get along, he makes fun of me. He texts me and he's like, Hey, I'm in Puerto Rico and Ty Lopez is up here. Um, I'm going to go up to him and ask him like, Oh my gosh, are you Andrew Gazdecki? Um, so he's, he's an amazing human being. I feel humbled and just frankly lucky that I met him. Cause he, he straight up changed my life. He's been the most impactful person in my life by a mile. And I've told him that I send him like, I love you stuff all the time. But anyways, um, what I do with the money. Um, so, you know, you have this closing date, you know, and that's the day when the wire is going to hit. So the wire hits and I was, I had an office in my office. I, I like to sit next to everybody. Just, I, I like to lead from the front. I like to let everybody know, like, like if I overhear someone struggling on a support call, I'll just put on the headset and be like, Hey, got Andrew from business apps here. How can I help you? Um, sales call, same thing. I, I kind of like doing that. It's not the best leadership style. You got to delegate, but that's just who I am. Um, so I moved all the money into, um, Charles Schwab, uh, worked with a wealth manager referred by Christian Freeland. Uh, and he did it all for free. He was just like, Hey, just like, until we figure out your long-term investment strategy, why don't we just get this out of the bank? You're not insured for this much money. So probably a good idea. I knew nothing about bonds. I knew nothing about the stock market. Um, so we bought bonds and 
we let that sit for about six, seven, eight months while we kind of figured everything out. And then I remember I, I just didn't check it. I just was like, okay. Um, cause I, I had started another company. So I was already just busy. Um, and there's more money. And I remember literally like texting him and be like, why is, where's your, did they send us more money? And they're like, no bonds, like money, like you have a lot of money in bonds and you're getting like a two, 3% interest rate on that. And I was like, oh, okay. So money makes money. This is interesting. Um, what are you in now? Uh, Vanguard and dimensional. I wasn't dimensional, but uh, my guy did a baller move um, during the the COVID crash, like in March when like the huge crater, he did a tax uh, harvest rollover. I was in dimensional index funds, but now I'm just in Vanguard. So he um, basically, I have like a few million in like uh, losses that he booked. So any capital gains that I have to pay in the future, I can mark against those or something like that. What are the um, losses from? Uh, so there was no losses. So um, the, the way tax harvest loss works is if you sell a stock at a loss and buy a similar stock the same day, ah. uh, you can uh, mark that loss as a future deduction on Got capital it. gains. So at the bottom... He just, he even asked me, I tell him, I don't, I don't want to see updates. I don't, I, I, I trust the guy like a brother. He He's sold, he sold one thing, got the loss on it and then bought another that's similar so that he could ride it up. And now because you've booked the loss, when you sell at a, at a profit, you get to write it off against the, the loss from before. Is that essentially it? Yeah. And that's why you went from dimensional to Vanguard. Yeah. So it has to be like got a it. similar asset. I don't. Not an expert. Yeah, um, this is the stuff out. that Wealthfront is trying to do for um, for everyone else, and I I get where I get where you're going with this. Did you buy anything fun? And then I want to go into the business. I don't want to get into into the investment advice or investment experience and fun stuff. But did you yeah. get to do anything fun for yourself? Yeah, let me summarize on the investment stuff really quick. I'm okay. a very boring investor. I don't angel invest. Um, I don't really. Cause I like to keep my brain space very limited. So the less I think about, I don't, have, I don't have any crypto holdings. Um, I don't look at the stock market. So don't ever ask me about investing stuff. Cause I'm the worst person um, you know what? In, in our group. You had the funniest line about investing some, there was a conversation about angel investing in startups. And the one person who done a lot basically said that there's only one of all those companies that's worth anything. And the rest of it seems like a big distraction. Um, but you said, I invest in a few funds because I was in a fraternity. I'm used to paying for my friends. <laughs> it's oh, yeah. such a great line because it's so right. And it's it, it makes a ton of sense. I put in what, 20, 25,000 into, into the hustle fund. It's so great because they take good care of you. Before COVID, they used to have these fantastic events where you got to meet other people who invested in the fund. You get really great access to smart people. And God yeah. knows Eric from the Hustle Fund is one of the best, smartest resources I ever had. And because I'm an investor, I'll ping him with the question. I get the most thought out, great answer that I could imagine. Yeah, I, I call my country club money. So instead yeah. of like, going to a country club and networking. Um, I'll put in like a little, I'm always a guy that's like, Hey, what's your minimum? And then could we do like a 10th of that? And then 
Just so I, I feel can, like, like such a, I feel like such a pauper doing that, but I should, I should do that. I like that you have the self-confidence to say, what's the minimum and can I do even less? I mean, the worst they can say is no. Then- ah, no, the worst they can say is, oh, this guy, Andrew, is such a loser. What is, what's Gaz doing? He's just asking me for $1,000 into this. What a, what a waste of time. Yeah, that's true. But I also don't care. And no, if that's I, how, you know what? I actually and, think you do care. I believe that that is good for your reputation, that this is the the attitude you have is I'm just a simple, humble guy. I'm not looking to be the baller in the room who's going to drop $10,000 on the roulette wheel and then walk away, not caring whether I win or not or lose. I'm the person who just likes to surf. I like to build a business that matters, right? Uh, no, I truly don't care what you think about me <laughs> at all. I don't give a shit. I'm wearing like a Detroit hat right now. I, I, my hair looks like shit. Like I've had this, you've seen me wear this sweater like a hundred times. Like, did you buy anything I, fun for yourself? I, I have seen you wear the sweater. I have seen you uh, with a baseball I, cap. No. My, my friends call me simple gas. Um, I'm, I'm just a simple person. I, I always try to just look straight. What I mean by that is, um, you know, I try to tune out you know, negative noise, anything that I stay in my lane. I don't, you know, I, yeah. If it's if like, I've never had someone say like, no, like that's not going to work. Um, and if it comes back with like, Hey, can you do 10 K 25 K? I'm like, yeah, sure. Something like that. Um, but, um, in terms of what I bought, um, bought a beautiful house in um san mateo um actually couldn't get a mortgage for that which was kind of funny um so i bought it cash um the house the house is valued now at three and a half million which is crazy so i live in a three and a half million dollar house um my backyard is full of deers i post deer pictures on instagram if you want to follow me um uh lots of coyotes too there's like a, a rooster out there we live on the edge of Peninsula Golf Course, so if anyone golfs, um, don't hit my house. Um, <laughs> All right, let me uh, go into how you let, – let's go into business, okay? So MicroAcquire, this is the business that you're running right now. By the way, I should – I guess I should have disclosed I'm an angel investor in MicroAcquire. Um, it's weird that you even have to disclose it because it's not like my life is going to change one way or the other. I just wanted to be in on the, on the Andrew ride. I wanted to see what Gaz was up to on the inside. And I feel like it's worth whatever I put in just for that education and just because I believe in what you're doing. So let's go back. The idea came to you from where? So I had the idea for kind of a long time, but I really started making moves on it uh, about two years ago. So I had this startup idea called Venture Pitches in college, basically YouTube for like angel, like I love startups. So I wanted something that served startups and entrepreneurs. So this is how far this goes back. I just thought, let's make it easy to like, you know, help entrepreneurs raise money and, you know, be successful with their ventures. Um, And then after selling business apps, after running Allcoin, which was a blockchain trading company, um, I specifically wrote down the customer I wanted to serve. That was where I started. Like, who do I want to serve? And I felt that for my next venture, given that, you know, I've had a little bit of success, I'm comfortable. I wasn't looking for, you know, a niche business to make a few more million bucks or something like that, because none of that would really change my life. Like, like I would just log into my Schwab account and it's like a larger number. And I'm like, cool, like, okay moving on 
Um, so I wanted to have a business that would have a large impact on the startup community. So yeah, the idea, I mean, really was just my personal experience selling business apps. Um, it was confusing. There's so many articles and books on fundraising and how to grow your startup, but not too much on the exit. And so I felt this was something that the startup community specifically needed, just as much as like product hunt for discovery or angelist for investing. It completely changed the game for mm -hmm. startups. And so my my hope is that microquire becomes, you know, the exit path for founders because the exit is such an important part of founders the founder journey and and we want to help with that and you're right and no one had been addressing it everyone's talking about how to raise money and talking about how to get customers but once you do it all when it's time to sell there wasn't really beyond individual brokers a place where you can go do that um or sites like empire builders what's different about those places is they are more about how do i match you up what I thought was interesting, Andrew, about what you did with MicroAcquire was you basically created like a directory of businesses that want to be sold and an email that updated people. Am I right about this? I'm trying to get my history right. Yeah. So when we launched, it was a, it was a full-fledged marketplace. And I built it kind of how I would want to, like if I was going to list my company. So it's completely private. And you can vet buyers based on their LinkedIn profile and you can chat with them before giving them access to things that are sensitive, like your company name, your P&L presentation. You can connect Stripe, ChartMogul, Probowell, like real, real analytics, mm -hmm. but you can vet the buyers first. So it's not just kind of like a, you know, this is out in the open and then your employees find out. And this happened to me, like when I announced that we were going to sell business apps to my team, the questions you get, oh my gosh, um, everything from, am I getting, am I getting fired? Like, am I getting fired to, am I a millionaire? Meaning the people on your team, when you start announcing publicly that you're selling your business, everybody starts to have these questions and get oh, distracted oh, from running oh. the business. And so you said, how do I create a marketplace where entrepreneurs like Andrew Gazdecki can list their stuff, list their businesses without publicizing to the world that they're listing their business? Exactly. And, okay. and I was, and I was, I was ready to sell. Like I, I also didn't know brokers existed. Like I worked with an investment bank previously to sell business apps. We had a few offers there, but I was 26. So, um, I wanted to push for, um, you know, a larger exit and I'm glad I did. Um, but yeah, like towards the end, I was just like, so exhausted, like, um, so much management, um, you know, just, it, it, it's just 24 seven. It feels like a part of your brain is kind of gone when you're like really deep in a company like that. Um, and I, you know, candidly started to fall out of love with the business. I had just been in it for so long. It was all I knew. My last job was at Sears. I had no prior experience and I felt, you know, I've, I've taken this business as far as I can take it. Um, we had a good offer on the table. They come um, to, and by the way, we should say what business apps was business apps was, uh, I'm looking at the first version of the site. It's iPhone apps for business made easy. So a lawyer who wants to have an iPhone app would have come to you, I, filled in I, a form, right? 
I made that website. Yeah. Um, yeah, I could see it. Um, <laughs> it. It definitely got more sophisticated over over the years. But I'm again, I'm looking at the very first version. Are you on um, website archive? archive? Yeah. Yeah. I okay. Love, and I so love. that's <laughs> I love archive too. That's what it was. You then said, "I'm exhausted." How did you get the first offer for business apps? Um, so we hired an investment bank. Uh, did a full roadshow. Uh, we had. We had four soft offers, two serious offers. Um, funny enough, uh, we um, so I had a a thirty million dollar offer from a private equity firm. Uh, I I don't know the exact numbers, but twenty million of that was going to be on secondary, so I was going to walk with um, twenty million dollars, and then they were going to put in uh, ten million on primary which means an investment directly into the business. And they were going to bring on a new CEO. They had an uh, entrepreneur in residence that was looking to do like an enterprise um, kind of roll-up play. Um, ended up turning that offer down. Um, and then we had an offer from one of the big do-yourself website builders that required me to move somewhere. I didn't want to move. Um, and it just was sticky earn out. Um, it, it, it just didn't go right. Um, and I guess the offers were good, but again, it, it came down to me just like having a hard to heart. Like, I think I can keep going with this business. So I, I did. Um, and, uh, yeah, after that, we just kept running the business and then we were approached, um, by ESW capital, um, years later. Okay. And so you said, I want to have a marketplace where uh, entrepreneurs don't have this type of experience though, to be honest with you, Gaz, this seems like a pretty good experience what you had. Yeah. It took a little bit longer than you wanted, but it seems like great offers. Yeah. But I would say not all businesses have the opportunities that I had at business. Apps. Yes. You know, we had 10 million in revenue. We were growing, um, you know, we were on Inc magazines, fastest growing companies, um, Two years in a row, we saw we stopped submitting financial info to them. Nathan Lacker like pulled some more numbers out of me, but um, we were at number like fifty eight one year, number number ninety two the next year. The thing was a fucking rocket ship. And Why? I was like, what was it that What was it that made it so big? So there was an inflection point. So the original plan was to cold call small businesses all day, specifically restaurants. So I had, I. Had, I've always been a solo founder where I, I build the product. I usually, I always hire people to help me. And then once I feel that, you know, I have business market fit, product market fit, that's when I start bringing other people in. So I developed the sales process. I developed the marketing strategy, that website, that shitty website you looked at from 2010. I made that um, proudly, <laughs> even though it's terrible. Um, so the original strategy was just to cold call a bunch of small businesses. And if you've ever cold call a small business, it is brutal. There's a saying where small businesses lack time, aptitude, and money, which is the trifecta of this sale is not going to happen. So we realized that it was an in-person sales approach. That's why you see companies like five stars, chow now, um, belly. There's like a ton of different SMB focused companies they hire these really large in-person sales teams. And so uh, the inflection point was, it was, it was just me. Um, I had three friends that 
uh, for a semester in college. Basically, we grinded on the phones and just it, it wasn't working. And so this was kind of like a dark time in business apps where it was just me in the office. We had a small like 500 square foot office. So just think of like a bedroom, like nothing fancy. Um, but I started moving into different markets like lawyers because you can get a hold of them really quick and they have money and like we started. So I got to like 100 apps um, and then we started getting some press. Um, and I saw this one individual in Switzerland making these apps for really large Ramada hotels. And I just thought, I reached out for no reason. He had no questions. He was building the apps. He was submitting the apps. Like it was great. Business he was work. using business apps to create these apps for hotels and charging them, I'm sure, more than the, what were you charging? 35 30 yeah. $30 a month. But the funny part is I thought he owned the hotels. So I was okay. like, the, my reason for reaching out was just to say, congrats on your success of owning a bunch of really <laughs> luxurious hotels. But um, uh, what was his name? Raul um, from Vendor Matt. Uh, shout out to Raul. Uh, okay. you, changed my, you changed my life, man. Um, but he had this suggestion. I just had a simple question, like, how can I help you sell more apps? And he explained to me, He's a marketing agency. He works with thousands of hospitality businesses. And if we could white label our product, meaning he can become a reseller, set his own branding. So the customer doesn't know the app is being built by business apps. He could then charge a premium, almost like a semi-custom mobile app where instead of do it yourself, it's like, do it for me. And so that allowed, we would charge typically 30 to $40 a month per app. For resellers, our price changed a bunch. So I think that's where it was at. Um, in the early days, I think it was like $10 a month perhaps for resellers because we were just trying to get them in. Um, and he ended up becoming one of our biggest resellers. And that became our full go-to-market strategies. We partnered with um, thousands of web agencies all across the world. Um, lots of big public companies that you'd also recognize. Um even some interesting ones. We had some good partnerships with like um, legal XYZ, you can probably guess. Um, like lots of just anything SMB we partner with. Like, hey, you want to sell apps to your company? We got you. So we- So anyone we, who has access to, I, I'm going to imagine a company like LegalZoom, let's say, for example, would say, we're already working with lawyers. These lawyers might want a website. This could be a new upsell for us. You would create a white label version of business apps so that it looks like it's their product, their software that they could then sell- in addition to the software to their to their lawyers or to their clients, they could also sell it as a service where they use your software for them. Is that it? Yeah, you guessed it. And that was the thing that just took off for your for your business. It 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 boomed. Like we went okay. from like because everyone was trying a lot of these web agencies were trying to figure out how to deliver mobile solutions to their customers, but they didn't want to hire mobile developers. And then hiring mobile developers was really hard. Right. And then they didn't know what features businesses wanted. So we took care of all that. So we essentially became like the extended development arm for every web agency across the world. We had customers or web, um, or actually let's, let's call them resellers, mm -hmm. white label resellers in like 50 plus countries. We translated our product in 
more languages than I can count. I found out um, Brazilian Portuguese and Portugal Portuguese. I had no idea they were that different. Okay. Yeah, funny, funny story. Um, we uh, we had a big Brazilian client, and we translated the apps into uh, Portuguese, Port Portugal Portuguese, and there's some tension between those two countries. And again, I'm I'm like 23, 22, so I don't know these things. And he was livid. He was like, "This is offensive." <laughs> like, like, and so we immediately reverted that. Um, and we did some other crazy stuff too. We did a full, um, public partnership in Japan where they flew me out to Japan and got to go on the sky tree. And it was with a public company. Um, I met like a Japanese Olympic medalist. Why did they like, fly you out? What was the, what was the business relationship there? We were doing an exclusive partnership where we were launching business apps, Japan, so they were essentially becoming the business apps um, uh, representative in in Japan as an exclusive. Okay. They paid one hundred fifty thousand upfront for that um, relationship was really good. That partnership was awesome. But what was more awesome was just my I got to go to Japan. I'm like twenty three. I think the weirdest part about the story is just how young I was. Um, I didn't have any experience before. I didn't have any sales experience. I didn't work at Google. I didn't know how to code. And the, the reason um, that they wanted a white label as opposed to just saying, we're going to sell business apps and, and upsell it because we're adding our own services. What, why wouldn't, why did they needed to have their branding instead of your branding and their service? I think, so you're asking why do they, why do they want the business apps branding instead of just white label? Yeah, no, why why was white labeling that dramatically different for a reseller? Why I want to understand that. Oh, good question. So it allowed them to set their price. So we would charge them $30 a month per app, but then they can go to their client and they wouldn't know that it's being powered by business apps at all. So some clients were we created some really cool apps. Like we created like an app for Jordan Belfort, um, Pat McAfee, the uh, kicker on the, the Colts. Uh, Billy Ray Cyrus, um, uh, Fetty Wap, like some, some funny people. Like, what, just what did the apps do in the beginning? It was basically the equivalent of a web page, right? We had some pretty advanced features, but it was really revolved around um, loyalty, communication, engagement, um, ordering, reservations. Okay. We had some funny features, like we had a car finder tab. Um, I don't know, a car finder tab, like where if, like if you're at a restaurant and you, it was, a, and you lost, you forgot where you put your car. You, yeah. You? It, that, that we, we joke the old business after we always talk about like, Hey, um, what about that car finder tab? Cause, uh, it was a feature that we packed into apps because Apple's approval guidelines were so strict. So you needed to use every native capability. So this feature allowed us to use the camera, the timer, the maps, uh, and we kind of added it to every single app. So this was another thing that we did that was kind of scrappy to allow us to get. So our competitors weren't getting apps approved, but we were adding features like this to every single app to get them approved. So that was one little like little, little secret <laughs> that we did. Yeah, it, it was a completely How'd you learn useless, to do that? What's that? How'd you learn to do that? 
do what? Are you, I, I'm trying to get a sense of how you figure things like that out. And my sense is that you do a lot of reading. Do you also talk to other people who, who tell you, Hey, Andrew, if you, if you add white labeling, that's the unlock. If you add no in, in white labeling, well, how did, how did you know that if you added all the features, Apple would be more likely to approve you faster? We didn't. We oh, didn't. Just playing around and seeing what works. Yeah, we were young. You know, we we didn't have any frameworks. We didn't have Twitter. We didn't have books. Like, okay, there what, was. What about this? So you said that white labeling was the big unlock. The business was started 2010. I went to the very first version of the business in. I think in 2010, you already had a white label button on there, right? Yeah. Right in the beginning. So right in the beginning, I guess you just didn't realize what you're saying is you didn't realize the value of the white label until you had a conversation with Raul. There should be a version maybe before that without it, but we added it pretty quickly. I'd say probably within six months of launch, we added it because the white label or the cold calling strategy just wasn't working. And this like, was in re- reaction to what Raul told you. You said, let's add white labeling. Yeah. And then okay. as soon as we added it, we started adding customers. Like we we grew, like we went from, I think from cold calling, we got to, let's call it, you know, 20,000, 30,000 annual recurring revenue. Mm-hmm. And then within the first year, we went to um, like a million. And then the second year we went to 3 million. Wow. And then year three, we went to like four and a half and like it, or something like that. It just kind of just exploded. Um, so that's that became our full focus. And then a surprising fact too is we actually stopped focusing directly on SMBs. We went full in on the reseller strategy. So we, we turned the SMB um, process into full do-it-yourself where basically here's automated emails. We'll design your app for you if you want. But our full focus, my full sales team, my full onboarding team was completely dedicated towards uh, resellers. Okay. All right. Let me take a moment to talk about my first sponsor. I totally forgot about the sponsor. It's HostGator. Let me ask you this. Andrew, as a person who's seen so many businesses sold on your platform, and also as a person who just loves businesses and followed them for years, if somebody had nothing but a HostGator account, where let's say for simplicity's sake, they could install WordPress and get started. What's a business that you've seen that they could get up and running and do well enough that they could come to micro acquire and sell? Um, on, well, fun fact, I started business apps on HostGator. You did? That's a fact. Yeah. I registered the domain on HostGator. I had no idea. Um, and I, 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 st- I, still use HostGator too, um, for a number of other things. Um, okay. So question is, what is a business that someone could easily create? on HostGator yep. and really Let's anything within six months. Give me an idea of something that's been sold that could be on HostGator. Um, a niche SaaS companies. A niche SaaS company. Okay. Very niche. Like okay. um, I'm trying to think of one that was interesting yesterday, but like my favorite recent one was uh, it was doing about 250,000 a year. A lot of it was mainly profit and all it did was removed um you know the background images of like if, if i took a screenshot of you yes. and i just want you yes it just did that and that is so simple um so okay i think the biggest thing micro has done for me is open my eyes like there's a lot of people like go up market like go venture back to like those deals are really complicated to close because there's so many shareholders involved and we'll be looking at that market over time but 
man, like the, the long tail of just, you know, I think the small business economy is going to start moving towards, it's going to be online and digital and profitable. So just like, just look at a company with like a feature that everyone loves and just build that feature and like what about this? It. I want to come up with an even simpler idea. SaaS is maybe a little bit further ahead. What about this? I just saw Justin Jackson talk about this. The, um, the guy who runs a podcasting company. I'm looking at you. Your video looks freaking phenomenal, right? You got the blurry background. Your audio sounds good because you got the microphone. It's great setup. It's a pain in the ass to put together. Justin Jackson said, how about if somebody just starts a service where for 200 bucks, they log in with someone else on Zoom, they look at their setup, and then they give them advice on what to buy. Maybe they even pick it with them. And then when the stuff comes, I would suggest you do a follow-up where you set it up with them so that it all looks really good and you could do the whole thing remote. I paid for people in my office to do that. I'm now working from home, but um, I paid for people in the office to do it. It was totally worth it. How's that for a business? And then, so it could be something that's sold afterwards, you start creating these packages on the site where people who want it can buy the packages, set it up themselves or buy the packages and do a Zoom setup where someone else shows them how to do it. And businesses, one of the things that I think they should do is, yes, they should pay for their internet access for their team, but if they're gonna go all Zoom, they should pay for a good Zoom setup. How's that for business, Andrew? Yeah, that's actually exactly how I set all my- uh, Somebody who does it with you remotely, right? Yeah, he came to my house, installed everything. Um, he logs into uh, my computer when I need help. Um, if anyone listening to this podcast needs reference, I got one. He is the man. Um, but yeah, stuff like that. Like we can move into like e-commerce companies. Like I see stuff like where they're like drawing cartoons of your family and they're making millions of dollars. Really? Like, yeah, like Simpson cartoons. Like that one was really fun. You saw that on Microacquire? Somebody who's just drawing Simpson cartoons of people's families? That seems like a Fiverr uh, task, not a whole business it, with a website. But they're really high quality and like he frames them and like he has like kind of okay. a craft. He has a process to it. Um, you know, there's there's a thousand plus businesses live on Microacquire. So I probably got to do a better job of like memorizing all of them. But Wow. Like there's just so much variety. There's a business for everyone. If you, I'll just put it this way. If you like, if you like crypto, if you like men's leather boots, if you like, you know, Simpson cartoons, like You're saying there's you, a business out there that's already making money that you can buy and then just focus on that. Yeah. It's, it's a startup store. Like, what do you think if I, if I wanted to add to Mixergy, another revenue stream, you know, my audience, you know, my obsession, What's a good business for microacquire for me to consider? There's been a few where, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to bug you too much, but there's well, been a few, like, cause I know, um, you're a big outdoorsy guy and, um, you like the camp. There's been a few businesses revolved around that. Okay. What and, else? I, I feel uh, like it should be more connected to Mixergy. It's true that I do. I have fallen in love with camping. And I got a little like into that, but if I were to, to go to microacquire and find something that's more related to Mixergy, what would you suggest? So first thing that comes to mind is probably a newsletter. So there's a large marketing newsletter on microacquire right now. Um, there's several communities on microacquire where you could, you know, say, Hey, this is the Mixergy community. Um, mostly entrepreneurs and startups. So that could be, okay. A good add-on. Um, 
or just like a, a product that you just give away for free as like a lead generation tool. Ah, you're saying buy one of those lead generation tool. People sign up, they use the tool. And then I tell them about Mixergy and now they're in the Mixergy world. Yeah. Like one thing I did for microquire is I bought um, a company called ChimCharge. Okay. Just a simple billing system. Stripe, Stripe kind of built something similar, but I needed a billing system. I wanted a really, really simple. And so I just bought it. And uh, now it has like, I think like 5,000 users and um, it's completely free. I made Chimp charge? Chimp charge. Chimp charge. What's chimp charge? It's basically like Venmo for Stripe. So you connect Stripe and you get this cool, these easy payment links. It's like the easiest way to set up payments within Stripe. Probably ah. number two to Stripe's, um, you know, quick payment pages. But I see. I, I just like, I was like thinking of the business model um, for MicroQuire. And um, you want to hear the backstory on that? Yeah. Yeah. So the backstory on um, the current business model of MicroQuire was uh, literally one day, and this is kind of how I work too. It drives my team crazy because I'm, I'm literally like ready, aim, fire. I, I don't really plan. I don't really, I just say that we're, we're doing it. Um, but uh, founder reached out to me. He's like, Hey, I've had like a lot of people reach out to me. I think we're getting up to like 60 or 70 people. Who should I focus on? Who's serious? Any tips? And I had heard this from a few other founders. I thought, okay, we need to separate, you know, serious buyers from non-serious buyers. And we're going to be upgrading that even more within microquire. We're thinking like microquire platinum or something like that. But uh, just basically created a chim charge page and just said, Hey, to get access to deals now, you got to pay two ninety a year. Sorry, cut off. If, you Meaning, if they wanted to get the list of, of businesses that are being sold on microquire, they had to pay an annual fee and use chimp charge in order to charge them. Yeah. And so okay. a good, a good analogy would be like, you know, it's a Ferrari dealership. You can go in and look at all the cars. You can look at all the details and the specs. But if you want to contact the owner because you have questions about a a ding or the mileage, you have to pay for that access. And then that is sent to the founder. And then the founder either approves or denies your request based on um, who you are. Okay. All right. I I didn't realize that that's how you were charging. I do think that we were talking through as you were figuring that model out. What was the original model going to be for the marketplace? I had no idea. You just no said clue. I need to create a market. You told me before we got started how much you paid to get this business going. Can you say how much you paid to have the first version of the website built? So it was, I told you 500,000, but it was over a period of 12 months. Okay. So I was building this business. Um, another another thing, I was um, managing a sales team, a marketing team in a company called Spiff. So I was chief revenue officer. I just become a dad. Um, I was writing a book, so I had a lot going on. So it was just something I made out of passion. I just, I, I just, it wasn't work. I loved it. And so initial investment was probably like 150k, and then I just kept building upon it and building upon it. You know, you know how like, um, you know, our buddy Will, he likes to, he's a craftsman and stuff like that. I'm kind of like that with software. So I was like, you know, my wife's fully on board with it. Like, sure. 
like I hope this works out but I was like I, I think I think there's something here and I, I enjoy helping these entrepreneurs and it, it started picking up traction so that's where the additional investment made sense um, and then once we started putting on um, the original or the current uh, business model that all of that has just been reinvested into the business surprised to hear that you're somebody who's willing to spend money to just take a flyer on a crazy idea, not knowing where it's going to go. It's what I, it's, it's what I love to do. I always example of some of one of these things that didn't go anywhere just to get a taste of how you do it. Um, maybe Allcoin, the blockchain trading company. I had big aspirations for that one. Um, I pretty much came out of that one, like break even, but that one kind of was like, I obviously take full responsibility for it not becoming like a huge company and blah, blah, blah. But we got hit with some super bugs. So we were, it was a company I started immediately after business apps. We were in due diligence, put together a blockchain team. Um, we did some cool stuff. We didn't like the first, um, Bitcoin to Ethereum atomic swap. I know you're you're kind of, you're kind of into crypto now, Andrew. Um, not not fully. I I'm really fascinated by BitClout, but I, I haven't fully been won over by crypto. I, I was deep in there. I was um you know I I had calls with uh you know um uh, Vitalik Buterin, um, uh, Fabian Volgesteller, who um, implemented the ERC twenty protocol, which is what spawned all the ICOs, was on our advisory board. Um, so we were we built a, a good company, and what we were trying to do is we were trying to speed up um, transaction times on the Ethereum blockchain. So I I've heard you kind of say like it takes so long and stuff like that. We were trying to fix that, and it was super complicated. And the first application of that was basically like a decentralized Coinbase. And then, so we raised um, about 800,000 for that business and uh, did did a crowd fundraise. So it was through WeFunder. Didn't do an ICO. Thankfully, I didn't do an ICO. Thank, like, bang, like dodged a bullet there. Um, but we wanted to involve like the crypto community, um, you know, similar approach to MicroQuare where I'm trying to involve the startup community. Um, and SEC, started finding like real federal charges like you're going to jail for this ico you just did an unregulated securities offering and then they find um one of our quasi competitors because our, our goal was to really build this framework where we can you know we can make ethereum track transactions instant this can be applied to anything that was kind of the business but our first sort of proof of concept was going to be on a uh uh, a, a, a crypto exchange and then the sec came out and fined uh the owner of a similar business and we kind of said hey, uh we, we we like we like crypto but not that much um so i got i actually got on the phone with um the sec and uh threw up the white flag said like hey like i just want to let you know proactively we want to be completely compliant and this was during a time when the sec was trying to figure out What's a security token? What's a utility token? What ICOs are allowed? But then they just kind of hit the market with like, 
eight lawsuits against companies with ICOs, and then um, a couple other companies, including one um, called Ether Delta. Uh, federal charges. So I just said, I think this industry has a lot of promise. I think I'm a little bit early to get this to work. It's going to take a lot of money, like money transmitter license, chief compliance officer. It's probably going to get hacked. Um, I don't want to go to bed every night with thinking I'm going to lose a bunch of people's money. Um, so we ended up uh, pulling a business apps move and uh, we uh, we switched our messaging from uh, we're going to be the next you know crypto exchange to we're a white label uh, cryptocurrency trading engine. And the goal there was to basically find one whale client. That was also a business that you got into with the expectation that this was going to be a big business. And so we ended up selling this was going um, to be a the business kind of at right? cost. You're not just dabbling, just are repay you? investors. And we walked away from that. So that was probably my biggest failure. Right. That's why I, th- I feel like MicroAcquire, you started out with this idea that this could be a big something, right? I don't... No, I don't, I don't really dabble too much. I like, yeah, but I, I move into it slow because I like, I, I, I always, I guess put another way is I let, there's certain things that are required for a startup to be really successful. And I think the biggest one is market timing. I can't, I can create a market, I can push a market up, but MicroQuire has been riding the coattails of where everyone's talking about buying businesses. Everyone, like acquisitions are no longer reserved for just Google, Apple, and Facebook. You know, we have individual buyers, we have tons of private equity buyers, we have tons of VC-backed startups buying other startups. Um, You know, it's no longer just individual buyers, um, you know, buying companies from brokers, um, online. It's, it's, it's a real marketplace full of very, very high quality buyers. And I think we just kind of caught that at the perfect That's time. Today. And so you're saying Meaning, in the beginning, like, this is a good way to grow your business. Like you weren't my sure business what doing 2 million revenue. And you, you know, were just going to step into 10 X multiple on your revenue. Out, we'll right? add that and then you can pay for it. Okay. And then we have financing partnerships. And so, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I would just say, I, I, I just loved it. It was like my hobby, you know, it, instead of buying like a Ferrari or something dumb like that, I just wanted, I, that's kind of how I explained it to my wife. I was like, you know, I, I, I just really would love to build this business because entrepreneurs are kind of like my crew, my people, um, you know, I've been an entrepreneur since I've, I've been a child. So when I meet another entrepreneur, it's always an interesting conversation because I can tell right away, like there's very similar traits. There's usually like obsessive, like sort of like, like uh, just love for your business and what you're doing. Um, and so I just love these people just chasing their dreams and, you know, it, it, it takes guts Flippa, and why, you know, I wanted I to Flippa see if I can help it. them find an exit because had when, the market you, when you go up, to I sell it was a be business, small especially on the smaller side, on Flippa, there aren't too many options. There's like one or two brokers that specialize in SaaS and then it's kind of it. But, but when you came in, Flippa was what, too small is for what you had in mind? 
Yeah. But not anymore. Um, I thought Flippa was just positioned poorly. I don't want to buy an online business. I don't want to buy an online blog. I don't want to buy a starter right. website. I don't want to buy just, I mean, a lot, lots of respect for Flippa. I think they're a wonderful business, but it just felt like the Craigslist of like the, it was just like a danger zone. I, I just, it, you know, a, a core value of microquire is you know trust. What? I, I, and I didn't trust Flippa. I would and say this. What I felt about it Flippa was scams, so I've interviewed people who've sold in uh properties on Flippa. It's usually agree, again, I, I let's build a quick blog and then sell it to somebody are, else who great really business, cares about so the topic just, of this blog. But that, that was kind of, of my I've seen on there, which makes me think it's small starter businesses. It's not a place where I would go and buy a serious company. And it feels like to some degree that's what you were feeling. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah, and another piece was um like SaaS, specifically SaaS businesses because that's what I had um uh you know previous experience in and then also uh you know the privacy um mechanisms and again kind of taking like basically you know thinking how can we build a marketplace and pulling a lot of plays um, from Airbnb's playbooks around trust well, you and the community. Profile. You went in and did um, what in the beginning? And really having the highest, like every buyer that subscribes to the premium program, we review the profile. Like we reject a ton. We were fun. Like if you don't have, a, we still, so I have a team, every single customer that signs up to potentially reach out to startups we review those profiles to make sure that they look like credible individuals. Um, if they don't have a working LinkedIn profile, we don't approve them. We're, we're working on other verification tools like Twitter and stuff like that. But for now you have to have a LinkedIn profile. Um, you have okay. to have a completed profile. So a profile a image, and so you said this was um, description my of who you are. Why not start important. with an email I, I would list never the way Angel listed, where you just where, get a bunch of people like, who I want to sell, you'll send you email and references from other people. the deals one-on-one. Um, so, yeah. Because? <laughs> I didn't think it was going to work. Um, I actually, so I've told you, I keep a, a journal, um, and I have a real journal entry. I think, I think I shared it with you, Andrew, but before I launched microquire, I wrote in my journal, I don't know if this is going to work because like you said, there, there's some great marketplaces out there. There's Flippa, there's, um, empire flippers, there's FE international, there's quiet brokerage, all great firms. So you know, this wasn't like a new novel idea. We weren't making the next like Stripe or something like that. Um, but I wrote in my journal, I don't know if this is going to work, but it's going to look really good. Um, so at least like if it didn't work, it was like, I like it. So I, I guess I kind of built it for myself. And I also really enjoy product development. I love UX. I love design. 
So part of it was, you know, going back to our buddy who likes to, you know, really build stuff with his hands. You know, I, I really enjoyed the process of building the product and the messaging and the website. And so, yeah, I could have just, so I guess mm-hmm. to answer your question, it was more of a hobby. You know, my goal wasn't to like get this out quickly. Let's make this into like a huge business. This is going to be huge. It was just like, I think this is really cool. The only thing I've ever seen you get excited about was here's um, uh, surfing and maybe skateboarding. Am I right about the combination of the two? If I could add a third, it would be a video game. Like, except for this podcast setup, I guess. (laughs) Um, So I just said, hey. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of Madden. Madden. I used to be a top 100 Madden player. <laughs> Don't judge him based on it. Uh, add me. I only play Madden 20 because Madden 21 sucks. But uh, Mantic Mermaid 46, if anyone wants to play me. And that username was auto-generated. So don't, like, I get the you weirdest. I remember when you said that. I get the weirdest the, trash talk. They're like, you, you calls, like, you little said, girl, like, I was a kid, I wanted to build butt, startups. Blah, blah, blah. All I care but, about is um, entrepreneurship. Anyways, and yeah, I, I mean, I, I just, I journal, love building like startups. Journals. So, but I went back to my journal and I felt know. so, so unspecial for that because I grew up feeling like I was the only one who cared about entrepreneurship. I had to fight my teachers to get to sell candy. I had to be the person who, instead of reading a fun, whatever, Harry Potter type book, wanted to read some, some dude's business book. Uh, one of my favorite was Roger Dawson. It was just like all these business tricks. and I couldn't wait to be in business to do it. I thought, oh man, I thought I was the only one. Turns out other people felt that way too. And for a long time in my life, I wanted to find those other people. And then strangely, now that I found so many of them, I think, whoa, this is not that special anymore. Why, how did you even know that? How is it that you knew it? You told me a little bit about your, your background. I don't know how much you feel comfortable saying, yeah. but I mean, how does that background I, with the I challenging mother, saying, stepfather I situation lead you to think about I want to be the owner. What do you say? Yeah, I, 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 I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll give you the highlights. Um, you know, Growing up for me was pretty rough. Um, my mom had me when she was, I don't know the exact age, because I have an older brother, um, 18 or 19. So she had my older brother at uh, 18. So two kids before the age of 21. My dad passed away from cancer when um, I was six. Uh, please don't feel bad for me. Like My life is awesome and I feel what doesn't break you makes you um but we grew up on food stamps like i remember my mom doing things like skipping meals to feed us um she cleaned houses i would come and clean houses with her um she eventually uh remarried um so i had a a stepfather relationship with my stepfather wasn't really the best um you know let's just say i I, I didn't I didn't have a father figure growing up. Um, I don't have a good relationship. How old are you when you threw punches? My father. I'm, I'm, we're still working on that, and it's improving over time now that I'm a father. And um, but 
you know, we, we, we like would throw punches at each other. Like we, we had, we, um, so there was a time where he came over, um, to our house. Um, my mom and stepdad were having some problems and I probably rudely said like, what are you doing here? Um, cause I thought my parents and him were separating, uh, cause we just never got along. Um, he always, you know, he would do things like, you know, I'll go as far as like, he kind of, you know, lightly physically like kind of tossed me around a little bit, nothing major, but definitely, you know, would easily just smack me just straight. That was kind of the thing. Um, one traumatic moment was on Christmas. He literally, um, called me like, you know, basically just saying I would never amount to anything. Um, and so, uh, going back to when we threw blows, he came in and like, tried to take my computer and I went outside and I took it from him. This is the first time I really stood up to him and, um, just knocked him out flat. Uh huh. Took my computer, walked back inside, locked the door, told my mom, I begged my mom, why the fuck do you let this guy do this to me? Like he berates me. He tries to steal my business ideas, like the, the eBay business, he actually shut that down because you'd they rather said kill the business and give him half account. the profits of it. And so he came to business? me and he said, Hey, in order for you to keep running this business, I need half the profit. And I shut it down on the spot. I said, fuck you. So I just okay. had, you know, yeah. Uh, I was selling a number of different things. Most of them are pretty embarrassing. I was selling like EverQuest characters. Um, where I'd look for uh, misspellings like level 60 warlock, but they'd spell it wrong. And then I'd basically arbitrage the difference. Um, so I was making like, you know, a couple grand a month in high school. Um, and I know this was like ninth grade. Why so do you like think your mother stayed high, with him after grade. he did that to you? And um, he wanted to get a piece of that. Um, and she wanted security I said, from somebody no. who. And there was constant like examples of that. Sense? Um, and uh yeah it was just it was just okay um you know he he treats my mom really well that's that's one thing i i have to give him credit for you know our relationship isn't the best but he truly loves my mom and he truly treats my mom really 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 well my mom also has been through a lot she had breast cancer um when i was in college we actually thought she was going to pass away um he helped her you know get through all of that um so we've just had a, a tough time you know growing up and he's always been there for her so um he always has my respect for that i've wow. i i literally i i've never kind of expressed sort of like these you know, childhood sort of memories with him. Our relationship right now is just, we're cool. I love you. Like I forgive you for everything. Um, but yeah, there was moments where he'd tell me like, um, you know, I'm never going to mount to anything. And you know, I don't, I don't really know where uh, that came from, but, um, yeah, I think that kind of shaped me a lot into just, you know, realizing like, this is a life that I don't want for my family. I don't want to be struggling for money. I don't want to be, you know, 
kind of living in this environment. And then that was amplified by living in San Clemente, where I go over to my friend's house and they have these mansions with ocean views and like, like my friends were like, you know, um, professional skateboarders, professional surfers, like just living like the, the dream. And I'm like, and spring break comes around. Everyone's like, Oh, we're going to Hawaii. And I'm like, what's why? Um, so I didn't get to go to Hawaii till I was like 25. Um, so I always felt kind of just like, even college, I felt just kind of weird where, you know, you know, when you don't grow up with, with, you know, a lot of means, you just feel like you just wonder, it, it just, it burns something into you that's hard to explain. I've unpacked it with a number of entrepreneurs, but, you know, it, it can be a blessing and a curse. Like, you know, uh, for me, it's been the biggest blessing. For some people, it can take you in a different direction where, um, you know, you just, you, you, just, you just let it kind of take it as an you into an area where you just you know what? never I've, forget, I've been you never to this forget, other and private. you just say, you know, and I asked X, him, Y, Z happened to me you? in my and life. That's why I'm not successful. You make up all these family. And it's such a part excuse. of who he is that excuse. it's what motivates him. It's what keeps him going. It's what defines him. And he doesn't talk about it, but it's always underlying him. And I've been, I've been wondering how much of that, how much pain is helpful for keeping us fired up. And also, frankly, how much now that I don't have any pain now that life is pretty good, I'm not pushing forward as much as I did when I, when I felt like everybody hated me, I couldn't relate to anybody and I needed to show them. And I look at you, you, in the early days of micro choir, you were surfing, I think in the morning, you were hanging out somehow. I don't know if you were surfing, were you surfing in the morning? Okay. I don't know where, um, you were basically living a comfortable life. You kept telling us, look, I could do whatever I want now. And, and still you decided no, I had, you had to push forward. The, you were really at a crossroad. You could have kept charging monthly fees. You could and have I, kept and I just had a kid growing and, nicely. You know, ask my or there are all these people who are trying to give you money. Yeah. People who we know who I've interviewed who basically said, let me invest. And you know that you could have gone to venture capitalists and raised even more. And you were at a crossroad so many times. I wonder why you decided to inflict all this pain on yourself. And it has been pain, right? To, to go bigger. Why did you do it? Why, why now do you feel the need to go and suffer to do this? Great question. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's suffering. I would say, you know, I have, I have a high confidence in my ability as an entrepreneur. Um, I always have. Um, and I wanted to, you know, I, I felt like I got an opportunity to play for the New York Yankees, like highest caliber, like, you know, the opportunity to help, you know, entrepreneurs on a much larger scale. Yes. It comes with more stress, more management. Um, it'll probably take, you know, a couple of years off my life with the stress, but it's, it's what mentally stimulates me. It's again, going back to like what I wanted to be when I was a kid. 
Um, I felt business apps could have been bigger, but I made mistakes. I was young. Like, you know, there's, okay. there's billion dollar, you know, Aldo comes up a lot. No code app builders today. Okay. Um, like Xamarin. Um, that's the main one that comes to mind. I'm out of the market now, but I always see like a new go, go sites due to mobile. Um, you know, so I made a lot of mistakes with that business and I felt, you know, let's, 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 let's take a swing. That and then was it's killer. Also just more you said, stimulating, I'm going to try and recruit that, my old you know, friends who I built this other business with. I get to build what I and if, like. And I'm going to tell them if they don't come on, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to raise now. money. I'm just going to keep it low. So I'm Am not right? doing everything before. So we got. Uh-huh. Yeah, I did that. And then when the first funding round closed with Naval and Jeremy Levine and Andreas Klinger, uh, they day one put in their notice and uh, they ran the business within three weeks. So yeah, I got, so it was an opportunity to work with people that these, these are also really important things to me is having fun, um, having an impact because being realistic like if we sell this business for like a couple hundred million dollars, I'm not going to buy another, like, what am I going to do? It's like, I'm just going to go buy more in like Vanguard fund. Like, I don't care. It's not going to make me any happier. Um, maybe I'll upgrade my car, but it's not, it's not going to be like a business app sort of outcome where my life changes. I, mean, I no smart. longer have to think about money. Like, um, so it just felt like an opportunity where everything came together correctly where how do you, how do you have Levine, these friends like uh, how do you ben have him the founder of build.com you know, who's so supportive years. he's like a father figure to you yeah jeremy how, Levine from Bezos. how do you he's find these people Shopify, and how do you stay in touch with them Pinterest, in a way that he's lets a, he's, them a, he's a gangster and he's cool and he... this is build.com founder uh-huh yeah So I actually met Jeremy through Christian. Um, he, Jeremy was going to invest in Christian Friedland's company. And then, yeah, the, let me tell you a funny story about my first meeting with Jeremy. Um, he came to my office, my business app's office in Millbrae. And this is the office directly across from in and out if you've ever flown into SFO. It's a piece of shit. It literally is from like that 70s show. It has ashtrays in the hallway. And he shows up and I didn't know who he was. Um, cause I had been meeting with a ton of VCs and I was just kind of like, all right, you're just another VC. Um, obviously with respect. Um, and I said, you want to go get like some burgers? I'm like starving. Um, and I remember asking him just like, Hey, so you're in venture capital. Like what's like, maybe like your favorite investment. And he, and Jeremy's the most humble guy. Like he, and he's super funny and he's just, he's, He's, I can't say enough good things about him. Um, but he just humbly just kind of whispers over like, yeah. So, um, you know, found this company and, and like this really like kind of, kind of a dumpster. It was like a, an apartment. Um, they had all reduced their salaries. Um, they, they had just created this like pinning product. Um, the company's called Pinterest. And I'm just like, huh, 
Okay. Is he putting it on? Is he putting you on Continue. in Fiverr and, and he's a like, bunch another of others? One I really is he just enjoy like, is, um, is he, uh, is have he you heard of Yelp? the way you are? And I'm just like, yes, like, Jeremy, you don't, I've heard of Yelp. Like, I don't know. And he tells me about like Shopify and he tells me about like. All, all I'll say is I asked what car he drives. He drives, um, I hope he doesn't get upset for saying this. He drives a, because um, we, we were talking about like, uh, we have a so monthly meeting is. where we talk about just life and, and the business and stuff like that. And I asked him, you know, because um, I bought an SUV, a new SUV for oh, my it's a minivan. And uh, he drives a, oh, a wow. Toyota. And by the way, when you say you SUV. bought a, a um, SUV for your so son, your son's super not humble guy. To drive. You mean um, so that you can transport your son? You know, he's just one like of those people that, like, he, <laughs> you know, he, yeah. Yeah, good, 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 clear, good, good clarification. I, I bought my wife SUV and then I had a, the second thing I bought after I sold business apps was this loud uh, AMG Mercedes, which basically screamed like midlife I crisis. So I sold that and I bought I, um, um, an SUV. Let I got me a do car my second sponsor now with you here. Second sponsor is memberful. So it lets people charge I'm for access to dad. their site. I'm going to ask um, you again, Andrew, as a person who's seen lots um, of different businesses. Imagine if someone has does, does that where they could charge for an email list or they can charge for a community or they could charge for content or courses, have you seen any on MicroAcquire, any businesses that are as simple as there's access to a community and we're, we're building it uh, on a paid model? You have, how big, how big could that type of thing get? And give us some advice if someone were going to use Memberful to create one for themselves. Yeah, tons. If you... Um, number one, get customers. Um, MicroQuire, we focus on, you know, traction. We look at customers. So that'd be number one. And I always kind of do the cop-out answer. Go niche, go super narrow. Like when I launched MicroQuire, I went specific to SaaS. We've now expanded to communities, okay. e-commerce, direct-to-consumer, crypto, mobile apps. Um, we just listed a, a car dealership doing 21 million a year for fun. Um, but okay. go like super specific to a super specific I customer. Could just copy micro and I guess I would full. say before you like, even can you launch imagine anything, if they talk decide to what customers. they're going to do is just create a list of customers, not SaaS companies, problem, maybe something smaller product. and they become the micro acquire. Um, that'd probably be my best advice. I have been laughing yeah. at, at the knockoffs yeah. lately of micro I've seen a few. And they don't um, even pick a different name. They shouldn't. They um, pick like, the worst part of your name. MicroQuire, I think, was really good there's for getting started. My micro, guess is micro that you're going to switch away from MicroQuire to something else. It's for, it's for deal. It, I see. <laughs> but you're going bigger. Now you've got dealership, car dealerships on your platform. Listen, if if micro Microsoft with their tiny and soft company name, right, what about if, oh, wow. if, okay, if they, what about this? What if somebody goes and gets a memberful 
Start That's using my handful. answer. Microsoft they decide that they're going to say maybe the micro acquire for okay, Etsy so stores. My micros. They start contacting them, saying, "Look, you'll be in my email list. People pay to to get this email list. We don't even have to include your name. We just have to talk about what type of stuff you're selling." And and then they put together an email list of businesses for sale. They offer for free. And then after a couple of months of doing this. They say to people who are on the list, if you really want the good stuff, you have to pay. If you want to get early access, you have to pay. Something like that. That becomes a model. Does that make sense if they have a if someone in my audience has a memberful account and they decided to build that? Hmm. Wow. Yeah, then I'd encourage them to do it. Like a backstory on business apps too is uh, we had like four direct clones. All right. I'll say product. this. All the way Learn down to the from bugs. Andrew. Here's the, the here's a software if you want to do Words it. If you want to sell content up. community, like if you find, want to sell um, basically bits I, I and bytes to your audience, copy, here's what you do. Go to memberful.com slash Mixergy. They will give you the software that allows you to do it. And it's just works. It's beautiful. It's owned by Patreon now, which means that it's a company that you can trust and it's available for free. If you use my URL, it's memberful.com slash Mixergy. All right. Closing it out with this, where are you going with MicroAcquire? What's the future? So our mission is pretty simple. Um, I view the M&A marketplace today as fragmented, uh, kind of like the wild, wild west. So we want to consolidate the industry. We want to bring everyone involved in acquisitions together, including M&A advisors. We want to work with business brokers. So original messaging was like no brokers, but um, we actually hired a broker in-house. Um uh, to lead uh, VP of M&A uh, Marketplace. Um, so that's been interesting. Uh, also hired an attorney in-house to help build out the M&A attorney side of the marketplace. So we want to consolidate the industry. Everyone from, you know, again, attorneys, M&A advisors, business brokers, investment bankers, due diligence experts, um, accountants. I'm probably forgetting a few wealth managers. Like when I sold business apps, that was the first thing I needed, but it was just a reference. Like, you know, there's so much trust, but, um, yeah. and I joke around with Jeremy about this. I was like, what if we did that? But like, have you heard about Yelp? Like, what if it had like reviews like Yelp? And he's just yep. like, God damn it, Andrew. Like I do that to him all the time, but like where an entrepreneur can go in. Like if I was selling, looking to sell business apps and I find a guy that, you know what I would add to that? Successfully add, had acquisitions uh, closed with GoDaddy or built to sell you know, Wix. Like I, I feel like there are a lot of businesses business that can't I want to work with that person because they haven't they systemized, they haven't organized well. And John Warlow has been really good about helping some of those businesses organize. What do you think of that? I don't know what that's called, but that kind of consultant seems really helpful for businesses getting ready to go and list itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like that's another thing that we're looking at is just, yeah. And you can hire those individuals, um, you know, within the marketplace. And that's probably going to dictate our roadmap a little bit. Like we see a lot of opportunity to improve things like escrow or streamlining legal doc creation. 
even just transferring assets right now, people are just creating like Google shared sheets. You know, there's a hundred different ways to do it, but you know, why Combinator standardized, you know, the safe investment agreement. Like we feel we can standardize, you know, the LOI, um, potentially the NDA, um, not the purchase agreement. Cause that's where it gets really crazy. Mine was like 150 pages long. Um, but um, yeah, that's that's kind of where we're headed. We want to be the Zillow of M&A. We want to be um, essentially the place that helps brokers find you know more uh, clients to service. Because after a ton of research, brokers spend half of their time on sales and marketing, trying to find new business, just like any business. Like they they got to find new clients. We have thousands. Help them out. Um, and then uh, we also want to build ways for brokers that are representing uh, customers or excuse me, uh, businesses to sell to list on microquire so we can help their clients sell so we can help brokers make more money and then we can help more startups get acquired. And then the goal of all this is uh, really twofold one to increase the amount of acquisitions because if you're going through a life changing acquisition, I I, I recommend getting some professional help. Like if you don't, you're leaving money on the table. Um, you know, we're, we're still seeing like really, there was a $7 million acquisition um, that went down over the weekend that I found out about. Um, so entrepreneurs are, are, are starting to, you know, really get familiar with how to run an acquisition process by themselves. I sold my business without investment bank. I just had light. I hired one previously, didn't work or close a deal with them, but um, the actual deal that wanna, I did, so I did. You, can you, do you need a license a in order to be a business broker in order um, to hire you in a broker on board? But yeah, if you don't like, if you need help, you should get it. Um, and then um, where was I going with that? Yeah, we just want to. And are you now? Is, yeah, uh, so a lot of people don't understand this, broker? but. Uh, in order wow. to take commission on the sale of a business, you need to be a certified business broker. And so that's why we, am I personally? Yeah. Since we've hired one in-house, um, we're basically able to get the organization stamped. Um, and there's all the, there's, there's some legal stuff that, and that's another thing I see competitors doing where I'm like, you should talk to an attorney because it's, you know, there's some, there's some, there's some regulatory laws around that for good reason. Um, it's a little outdated. It's more geared towards like main street businesses. You know, if you have a physical presence as a restaurant, um, but yeah, so we're bringing on people that can help us, you know, legally, not only work with brokers and, um, was that right? Like another fun fact is to take, referral commissions from other attorneys you have to why so i see now where you're going you a, want to do the whole stack everything this, required for selling a business or buying a business be an attorney especially if it's like digital attorneys but it seems can like take you want to even go beyond attorneys. you want to have the whole yeah. thing am i right like we've, we've we've triple checked like all this stuff so you know what i invested in i invested in the humble guy who's just so constantly growing I wonder why you didn't take investment money from angels first. Why did you go to Bessemer first and then come to? Yeah, I want to. I want to build what I wish I had. Noah or, Kagan you know. and a bunch of others. No, no. Can we say it within the interview? You can't say it. Yeah, and then we should end the podcast. I, I, I just have so many questions. I should just frankly come to you. I only have a few more days here in San Francisco. I should just drive over to your house and 
and see are you in we, person. Are we ending the podcast or do you want to hear? Yeah, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. <laughs> if, and please do. Um, so with Jeremy Levine, um, so he preempted. Um, I yes. was not looking to raise capital. I turned him down like three oh, times. I, I kept wrong. saying like, okay. um, why? So the first thing I did was um, I remember um, I was in our founder group. I talked about raising like a small amount, very small, yeah. like 200,000. And then that just got out of hand. Like I was asking, I was just trying to raise like 200K just for, you know, almost like an advisory board um, to still kind of keep the company bootstrapped, but still have a little bit of capital and people have a little bit of um, equity in the business. Um, but then some people were saying like, Hey, like um, Jeremy wanted to be involved. This is um, Jeremy hey, you're asking like, to do that. We don't want this VC involved because that's a bad signal. Okay. Next time you raise, um, I'm asking like, Hey, oh, wow. I, would you be willing to put in a 25? You still could have done K-check? maybe even two. You could have probably investors, right? No, this is other firms. Like uh, yeah, it just, it sorry. just started to be like a feeding frenzy. And I just said, fuck this. Um, like, I, but, um, let me get to my, my next point. So what I did was, um, I took 200,000 of my own money and I wired it into my bank account. And then I messaged everybody said, Hey, I closed the seed round. I funded it entirely myself. Um, thanks for the interest. Um, if you know, it makes sense to, restart the conversation i'll reach out and then jeremy um said hey let's catch up in uh two weeks and then um two week mark i got my uh vaccination so canceled that call pushed him out a little bit a little farther um said not a not a uh, i did not feel good that day uh and um you know he just told me one thing he said um so he did um he invested 2.2 million at a $22 million valuation. So that's up like four X from three weeks ago. Um, and he just said something simple. He said, listen, Andrew, mm-hmm. I will increase the value of your company by 10%. And I'm going to give you $2.2 million. I want to work with you. And so I guess my answer to that is I wanted to work with Jeremy. Like I didn't, I didn't want the money. I wanted his expertise and his, his guidance because he's seen so much and he's kind of in my little entrepreneur circle. Like he's an introduction from Christian Friedland. He's someone I trust. Like, and when you're doing a price round with a VC, that relationship is so important because this is the person that, you know, kind of puts controls in your business. Um, so and then after that, I, right, I see how much I put, you know, I put we announced the fundraise and a flood of people are like, Which can I invest? Super small, invest? small. But I now said, that I see what you do, like, I okay, figure, sure. all right. And that's going to have the second. Uh, what valuation was I in? Together. Okay. So, so he dealt, so it was double essentially. All right. I just feel good about micro choir because I feel good about, I, I just feel good about you. I, I want, I like this as. Uh, I don't, I don't think I'm going to get rich off of this. I don't, I don't even know if I'm going to get any money back, which strangely I should have yeah. hard feelings when I don't get money back on an investment or I should feel like if I lose a chess match, Andrew, I swear my whole house hears about it. I'm playing on chess.com. I lose. There's an, Oh God. Like I, I will yell 
for some reason with these angel investments, you lose it. There isn't any hard feelings for some reason, but it's also not life-changing. It's just, it's just kind of a bond with something that you like. Is that a weird thing to say? I think if a guest told me that in an interview, I'd tell them to just shut up and be open with me about the reality of it, not be so airy-fairy. Right, right. <laughs> no, I, I, I think you're, it, again, it's like, um, I go back to the, the country club money where, you know, like you, you, you own a piece of this. Um, and uh, I'll say two things, um, you know, I appreciate your support. Um, I told this to Jeremy too. I said, Listen, I can't guarantee that this is going to be successful, but I can guarantee you I'm going to work my fucking ass off because I believe in this. I believe this needs to exist for entrepreneurs and I'm going to make it happen. <laughs> and the market opportunity is real I, and it's there. Yeah. And, you know, all I need to do is execute. Yeah. So, you know, we might be, you know, having a second talk where maybe we're really we're having a steak dinner or something like that, hopefully. Or you'll, you'll, or you'll hate me. We'll see which way it goes. Wow. Second, um, a last fun note. Um, I asked, I actually, um, uh, used to be like a chess champion when I was younger. So we should play a chess. <laughs> yeah. I have like, I've just gotten into it. It's amazing how many trophies. people are, are into it. Um, I, would, I am not good enough. I was to really you. good in, I was really uh, good in like James Altucher is training I, like, me a little really, bit. I used it's, to it's phenomenal what he's opening up my eyes to. I could do some good trainings. Um, I, oh, then let's play. Okay, I just realized I was on AngelList. There's a whole big thing I, I here suck, saying highly confidential. Do not disclose. I don't. Even, I think I'm allowed to disclose how much I invested. But I say this: I'm going to give you my username on Chess.com. No, we'll I suck text. now. I we suck can play. Now. We'll play these like, like uh, yeah, multi-day games. Um, Please don't reveal my name to everyone. I like having my little isolation where I'm playing and I get angry and I get happy without the world noticing. And it's just a bunch of strangers from all over the world who pop into my life there. That's going to be your name. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be, uh, I'll, I'm going to go with Mantic Mermaid again. Cause I, I, my, okay. I, I my friends make fun of me. Right, so they're like, how did you, Dude, thanks, why this has Mantic gone way longer than any other like interview that I've done in probably um, years, Xbox but I appreciate it. Madden, it's freaking so. been enjoying this conversation um, for anyone uh, who wants to go and buy and sell a business and, or just, uh, I guess Mantic Mermaid Mermaid a little bit. There's microacquire.com, microacquire.com. And I want to thank two sponsors who made this interview happen. The first Andrew and I are both using them. It's called HostGator. If you need to host a website, go to hostgator.com slash Mixergy. When you throw slash Mixergy at the end, they give you the lowest possible price in addition to all the other great benefits that you get. And frankly, their price is low and great service anyway. So go to hostgator.com slash Mixergy because you're going to be doing me a favor, not for the discount. And number two, if you want to sell access to content, access to community, you need software that allows you to do it and Memberful will do it. Go to memberful.com slash Mixergy to get that for free free to go try it for free. All right, Andrew, thanks so much for doing this. Bye everyone.